Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21. It's found on page 1687, uh, John 21, page 1687. As we prepare to hear uh, God's word, let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, as you moved in the Apostle John to write these words, we pray that you would move in our hearts this morning so that we would hear these words and know your truth and discover again the way of your love in our lives and into the world. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even so, with many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. To tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. In her short novel, Wise Blood, Flannery O'Connor tells of a young boy whose mother was trying to set him right. She was a strict, somewhat mean woman. One time, she suspected her son of acting dishonorably. She confronted him, hit him with a stick, 
and said, Jesus died to redeem you. And the young boy muttered in response, I never asked him to. It's true. None of us ever asked Jesus to die for our sins. Not even Peter. In fact, Peter tried to stop Jesus from dying. But what Peter discovered was that no matter how much he tried or failed, there was no holding grace back. Peter was in the running for the Failure of the Year award. Uh, He should have known what Jesus was up to, should have had a good idea why Jesus came to earth. He was one of the first to follow after Jesus, but he just didn't seem to get it. Time after time, he messed up. Peter disgraced himself with loud boasts he could never fulfill. He promised a friendship to Jesus he could not deliver. I mean, many of you know Peter. He's known for his mouth, always first to talk. In fact, Peter's model for life might seem to be talk first, think later. Now, don't get me wrong. His forward ways moved him to perform some amazing acts of discipleship. Once, when the disciples' boat was being bounced around by the waves, Jesus walked out on the water toward them. And it was Peter who showed the faith to step out of the boat and walk on water toward Jesus. Tell me to come to you on the water, Peter said. And then there was a time that Jesus said to all the disciples would desert him as his arrest and his death approached. Peter declared, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He vowed to say with Jesus, no matter what. I mean, maybe Jesus, Peter was just trying to live up to the, the billing that Jesus gave him. You're Simon, son of John, said Jesus, and you will be called Cephas, which, mean, which when translated is Peter. And that name Peter means rock. The problem was, Peter often sank like a rock. Uh, he did good things, but often these were clouded by his impulsive nature. Give Peter a tricky circumstance that he could write, he could uh, do the, the wrong thing in the right way. I mean, Peter was rash. One time, rumors were flying around about who Jesus was. Some thought that he was a, a famous prophet come back from the dead. Not Peter. When Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? Peter boldly declared, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he got it right. But then Jesus told the disciples what it meant that he was the Messiah. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And Peter will have none of this. He's sure there's got to be another way. He thought that Jesus could play it differently, that he could possibly get people who would flock to him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus' reprimand comes fast and furious. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I'm sure Peter wanted this on his discipleship resume. Once called Satan by the Messiah. And it didn't end there. Another time, Peter passionately protested he would never deny Jesus. And then just a few hours later, he did. 
He spoke boldly of his commitment. And then when Peter faced a real police action against Jesus, he turned tail. Denying to Jesus, just as Jesus had predicted he would. Jesus was arrested. Peter was standing around in the courtyard. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, said a servant girl. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And then a bit later, another servant girl recognizes Peter. This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter could hardly contain himself. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. It didn't stop. Some bystanders got in on the act. Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Peter began to call down the curses. He swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Pastor Fleming Rutledge says, of all the looks that have ever been, this bottomless look is the one that most truly reveals us to ourselves. Here we see the wretched pretension and guilt of human beings in the light of the justice and grace of God, his awful love and his fearful mercy. In that moment, the abject failure of the human creature was met by the penetrating gaze of the one who was on his way to be handed over for Peter's redemption and for ours. In that one moment, when the judge of all the universe fixed his eyes on this man who constantly bragged of undying loyalty, in that moment, with one look, Jesus uncovered Peter's folly, his crassness, his cowardice. Peter was a failure. And there was no hiding. Once Peter held the keys to the kingdom of heaven, now the door seemed closed forever. Once he looked for all the world like the rock on which Jesus would build his church, but that rock became something to trip over. Peter's failure was total. And yet, Jesus restores. None of us would ever be able to stand before Jesus unashamed. Not one of us can look Jesus in the face and say that we haven't denied him. But our denial is not the last word. Jesus brings us something we don't deserve, something we cannot earn, something that we have no right at all to expect. Jesus simply receives us as we are. God looks at us differently because of Jesus. And Jesus opens the door with these simple words. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There was old business that Jesus needed to settle with Peter. Their relationship would not be able to move forward as is. The hope and grace of Jesus' resurrection offers a new day. So Jesus extends a word to Peter, a word that opens the way to forgiveness. A door for a fresh start is open, and Jesus wants to know only one thing. Do you love me? Ernest Hemingway once wrote a story about a father and his teenage son, and their relationship had become strained. The teenage son ran away from home, so the father set out on a journey in search of his son. Try as he might, the father was not able to find his rebellious boy. Finally, in Madrid, Spain, the father made one last desperate attempt to find the boy. 
He put an ad in the local newspaper. The ad read like this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And the next day in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness. They were all seeking the love of their father. Peter was a failure and he knew it. Desperate as he might have been to receive Jesus' love, he gave up. I mean, look what he did. Even after seeing the resurrection, seeing the resurrected Jesus, Peter went back to fishing. He seems to have little hope. He must have thought he'd never get another chance. But Jesus doesn't leave Peter to wallow in his ruin. True, Peter has no standing on which he can ask forgiveness. I mean, who does? But forgiveness comes. Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. Jesus enters a dialogue with Peter that brings him back to life. Jesus simply asks Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now the exchange between Jesus and Peter in John 21 shows Jesus' willingness to accept Peter as he is. And the meaning revolves around two words for love, agape and phileo. Agape is a a deep, sacrificial kind of love. It's the kind of love Jesus showed to the world on the cross. Agape is a God-like love, giving without need. Phileo is the love of friendship. Sometimes we call this brotherly love because it expresses a, a deep affection for someone because of the need to connect. So with that in mind, let's consider how this conversation unfolds. Jesus says, Simon, do you agape me more than these? Now it could be that Jesus is wondering if Peter loves him more than fishing. Or maybe he's wondering if Peter's love for Jesus is greater than the other disciples' love for Jesus. Three times Jesus asks if Peter loves him. Three times, like Peter's three denials, Jesus wonders about Peter's love. He wonders if Peter's willing to lay it all on the line. And these questions of Jesus cut Peter to his heart. The third time we're told Peter was hurt. But Peter's replies stop short of all that Jesus asks. Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus asked if he agaped him, and Peter says he phileos Jesus. So again, Jesus asks, Do you agape me? And again, Peter replies, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. I love you like someone who has betrayed and cannot promise too much. I love you with all the affection I can muster. But Jesus doesn't let it go. He asks again. But this time, Jesus phrases his question differently. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Jesus receives what Peter offers. Jesus accepts Peter's philos kind of love. Peter dared not claim too much for himself, but Jesus receives Peter as he is. 
He was willing to meet Peter where he was. He doesn't bring up the past. He deals with Peter's present. Jesus doesn't call attention to Peter's offering philos instead of agape love. Jesus simply changes his expectation. Jesus offers no judgment on Peter's replies. He simply restores Peter. Despite the denials Peter had made, Jesus offers Peter God's grace. Not only offers grace in receiving Peter's love, but he also offers grace in upholding Peter's commission. Once Jesus had said to Peter he would be a fisher of people. Now Jesus says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus accepts Peter just as he is. And Jesus invites Peter to grow in grace and spiritual maturity. He asks Peter to become a shepherd like him. Take care of my sheep. Despite Peter's failures, despite his cautious hedge on love, despite Peter's limitations, Jesus puts Peter in charge of the flock. Feed my sheep. Jesus sees the failure recognizes the limitations that Peter brings, and he extends to Peter this high calling. Peter may have failed Jesus, but Jesus restores Peter, and he sends him back out. Jesus comes to us in the same way. Jesus offers us the same kind of relationship. Jesus gives each of us another chance. First, he offers forgiveness, meets us where we are. The testimony our world belongs to God says, the church is a gathering of forgiven sinners called to be holy. How many of us haven't messed up? We've disgraced ourselves with our behavior. Started with all kinds of fine words and then life went off the tracks. People make commitments. For better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And they meant it, but good intentions hasn't reduced the number of divorces. We're convinced of all the things that we would never do. Never lie, never steal, never hit and run, never slap my child, never drive drunk. But then we cheat on an exam, make an idol of our families, abandon a failing friend, and our never goes right out the window. You remember a story of Max and the Wild Things? Morris Sendok writes about him in the children's book, Where the Wild Things Are. One night, Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another. His mother called him Wild Thing, and Max said, I'll eat you up. So his mother sent him to bed without supper. That night, in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and his walls became another world. An ocean tumbled by with a private boat. Max jumped in and sailed off through night and day and in and out of weeks. And he came to where the wild things are. When the wild things saw him, they roared their terrible roars, gnashed their terrible teeth, and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. Till Max said, be still. Then he tamed them with the magic trick of staring into their yellow eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened called him the wildest thing of all. And Max was made king of the wild things. 
And now, cried Max, let the rumpus start. And it did. But just as suddenly, Max cried, now stop. And he sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. But Max, the king of all the wild things, was lonely. He wanted to be somewhere where someone loved him best of all. And all around, from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. And despite the protests of the wild things, Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day. And he arrived into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him. And it was still hot. Here's the thing, it doesn't matter how big a rumpus you make with the wild things. When you sail over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day, you will find Jesus waiting for you. Jesus ready to forgive you. Jesus brings you back to a place with him. See, the bottom line, as someone said, is this. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. I've often wondered how the story of Peter's denial of Jesus got into the New Testament. You ever wonder that? CNN was not on the site to do a news documentary. How did this story get saved and passed along? The story of Peter's bold claim and then the three times he denies Jesus doesn't cast the leader of the disciples in a very good light. Who would want to publish the story of their biggest failure? Don't you think... That for the church to have a good start, it would be better to sanitize this story? Well, apparently Peter didn't think so. The story of Peter's failure and denial gets told because Peter tells it. Peter himself must have wanted to tell how he denied Jesus and he related that story and the others picked it up. Why? Why would any one of them want that truth to be known? I think it's because the telling of the story of Peter's denial sets the stage to hear the story of Peter's restoration in John 21. In fact, Peter himself gives us the rest of the story in the letter he wrote. He writes this, based on Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Your life may be knotted with problems. Marriage teetering on the brink. Your soul battling temptations. Your future clouded in hopelessness. You come to worship, but your heart may be filled with unholy thoughts. You're a sheep gone astray. A max getting into mischief. But now you've returned to the shepherd. And Jesus says, do you love me? What do you say? Jesus asks, do you agape me? Do you have a sacrificial, godlike, self-denying love for me? And you respond, Jesus, I can barely manage phileo for you. Can't we just be friends? And Jesus says, 
good enough. Let's be friends. He doesn't expect us to climb some spiritual Mount Everest. But he does invite each of us into this incredible adventure. He says, okay, you want to be my friend? Feed my sheep. Tend to my people. It's not how perfect we are that matters. It's all about what Jesus did and what he offers us. Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. Forgiven by love to offer his love to others. The testimony our world belongs to God points us in the right direction. The church is a gathering of forgiven sinners called to be holy. Saved by the patient grace of God, we deal patiently with others and together confess our need for grace and forgiveness. Restored in Christ's presence, shaped by his life, this new community lives out the ongoing story of God's reconciling love. Jesus offers his patient grace to us, restores us into his presence. With him, we always find our supper waiting. Jesus invites us to be shaped by his life, to live out his love with these simple words. Follow me. He doesn't say, follow me when you've got your act together. He doesn't say, you know what, I'll check back in a few years to see if you're more committed. He says, do you love me, heart, soul, mind, and strength? We say, I'm trying. And he says, good enough. Let's be friends. Feed my sheep. Maybe we should stop calling ourselves Christians. Maybe we should just call ourselves Peters. Hi, I'm a Peter, one of the people of a second chance. Jesus restores us to be his very own calls us to be his church. He offers us a second chance and gives us the most incredible job in the world to give his love away. Jesus saw Peter for everything he was. Saw him for the failure he was. Saw him offer his feeble love. Same with us. Jesus sees us. And he sees through us. No matter who you are, no matter what rumpus you've been up to, no matter how wild things are, Jesus offers you new life. Jesus comes to you where you are and he says, You want to be friends? Good enough. Follow me. Thomas Merton once prayed these prayer, this prayer. Let's pray together. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. 
nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. Though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.